0: Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of Infinite Before a Book. Today, I'm talking with my friend Grace about A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Towles. Grace, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Happy to be here. Thanks. So Grace and I met through church, and we have participated in a book club together, and um, Grace and I both share a love of food, and I remember Grace, you were the hostess of a cooking club, yes. um, and you, that you invited to me. We would regularly go out um, with our spouses together to try various restaurants around town. Also, so um,
1: I miss definitely, that so much.
0: I know, me too. <laughs> uh, also, the food that we ate, I miss the food. Well,
1: that's and, the well, I Of the course, variety. I miss you, but I like. I live in a small town now with no restaurants in it, so it's like, oh man. Yeah,
0: I I feel your pain. Yes. Um, yes. And then your spouse has also been through the medical school journey, and um, yes. so you're someone that I've tried to learn from as we have joined that um, sort of a little bit later in the game in our life.
1: Yeah, of course. It's so kind of fun. Good luck to you on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're studying, John is studying for step one right now, so oh, um, I kind yeah. of don't see him, which is
1: yes. not always
0: bad, but it's, um, we're you on like different. You can
1: get through step one, you can get through anything, so. Oh,
0: Well, that's good. We're on sort of this weird study (laughs) schedule where he wakes up really early in the morning and then, like, is ready to go to bed. And I'm like, and I wake up later Uh in time to go to work, but still, like, as long as I sleep in as long as possible. And then I'm like, well, I want to stay up and read or do something else. So we're on these little shifting schedules, but it's good. So, what does your life look like now? What's up? What's new with you?
1: Well, we graduated med school, as you said, let's see, 2016. So that's almost three years ago now. And we moved to a very small town in Pennsylvania, population 5,000. Oh my goodness. Um, And it's just been, it's been a huge adjustment, small town life. But I got to say, it's been great. We absolutely love living here. I never see Ben. He's a surgical resident. Um, But I've really like found my community and my tribe here. So it's like been totally fine. And we have really loved living here. That's awesome. What do you love most about it? Um honestly, the people. I mean, I guess the people is what makes any thing in your life good or bad. But um <clears throat> I've really found a community of women that I can rely on and I've cried with them, I've laughed with them i've done everything with them in the absence of my husband and they're always there for me they bring me food they mow my lawn like well the women don't wow. but like just <laughs> people they like they're just always there for me and i've really found that's the cool. support network that i've not really had the opportunity of having before but like mm-hmm. when you're placed in a situation like this you kind of i just kind of fell into it and it's just it's been really moving in a great way
0: that's cool has, has it been mostly church folks or town folks or um, school both related?
1: both i mean um i would I'd probably say it's like 70 to 80% church people, but they have a really great group here for resident wives. Mm. So I've met multiple friends through that group who are not from the church, and some are from both groups. Um, And then there's like Flint's um, Mutt's My Son preschool moms, and there's just a lot of like a a good solid support network for like moms of young kids here, which is where I fall currently in my life. So it's great. That's really cool. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Which reminds me, you've had a child since I last yes, met you. I don't I think have. I even
1: met your child, your, your youngest daughter. No, you haven't. She <laughs> just turned a year old on Aww. New Year's Day, so...
0: Wow, I didn't realize she was a New Year's Day baby. That's yeah, so cool. she was.
1: She was not the first. She was born at 9.30 at night. I get that question all oh. the time, but... Oh, yeah. She oh, was, you know, huh. one of the first of the year, I guess, so... Still, and it's um, awesome to
0: have your birthday on a holiday, too. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was really worried she was going to be born on Christmas Day, so... Just because of when I was due, but then New Year's Day is much better. So
0: yeah, I think it's a better that. holiday to have have your birthday beyond yes. than the day that everybody else is also getting gifts. You know, yes, it doesn't feel agreed, special agreed. anymore. So,
1: <laughs> but yeah, having two kids has definitely turned my world upside down. I was listening to your podcast a couple times ago with Miranda, and she said the same thing, and I was like, oh, it's just so true. Yeah, that um, second one is
0: a game changer. Yes,
1: it really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's good. It's we're finally getting to a groove. So it's 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 been a adjustment, but a good adjustment.
0: That's cool. So my question was going to be what's keeping you busy, but I guess maybe the answer is your kids. But there, are you do you get any time for hobbies?
1: Oh yeah, I mean I started a cooking club here. Um, awesome. And it's turned. It used to like. Of course, it started out with just being church women. But like it's grown into more of a community feel. So we have lots of, you know, non-church members, meaning my church and church members and my neighbors have come and it's just turned into kind of a cool way to like reach out to the community. And I'm busy reading food blogs or watching food shows. I'm still into the food thing, even though I don't have restaurants to go to here, but I've had to find other ways. And then I just love throwing parties. I'm sure you remember that about me. So
0: yeah, (laughs) I'm always
1: planning something. You know, so like so what that's keeps really me fun. busy, so.
0: Do you still have a food blog?
1: No. Because you had one for a I while. mean, well, I was doing the food blog as like a, more of a review of restaurants in St. Louis, mm. if you remember. So right. then when I moved here and there was like nothing to review, I kind of, I tried to do like the home cooking thing, but then I was just like, I don't want to be another food blogger. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. So I just kind of, it kind of just fizzled and. I'm actually mm-hmm. trying to figure out what my next project will be. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but it'll be something you,
0: good. You reached out to me um, when I – I guess I had maybe posted on Facebook or something that I was starting this podcast. Yes.
1: Um, and
0: you were like, oh, my gosh, I want to do a podcast or something. And yes. Is that, that something is, you're looking at?
1: Yes, that is probably what my next project will be. I'm just trying to, like, fine-tune what the podcast will be about. I mean, I have, like, the general mm-hmm. idea – Um, I kind of want it to be an uplifting, like, inspiring blog for women. um, Oh, cool. And how they've used their faith or um, their inspiring things around them to, like, get through hardship or to, like, embrace their circumstances, whether good or bad. um, And kind of talk about my life and how I've learned to do that in my short life. I guess I'm still young compared to a lot. But that's kind of, like, the very rough idea behind it. But I haven't, like sat down and been like okay this is what episode one's going to be about so i'm still trying to like research like what all is out there so i can figure out a rough idea of what my niche will be but we're in the very preliminary stages right now yeah yeah so if you have any advice i'm all ears
0: amongst all this do you have time to read
1: that. I was listening to your other episodes and I was like, she asked this question. I'm going to be embarrassed because I'm on like a reading podcast. But I do read. I'm in a book club. Um, and I I like being a book club because it motivates me to read. Um, and I really related with something you said a few episodes back. I was like, I was a history major in college. And that kind of ruined reading for me.
0: Yeah, it does. <laughs> because
1: <laughs> I read so much. Like it was just like... The first few years after graduating, which I graduated back in 2012, so, like, it's been a while now, but, like, I was did not pick up a book for pleasure, like, at all. <laughs> and then, finally, I was like, okay, Grace, like, I love reading. I need to get back into it. So, I joined the book club that I was in with you. Right. Um, I think you're the one that told me about it and encouraged me to join. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then from there, I just try to always be in a book club. So at least I'm reading a one book a month. And then my goal is to read two books a month, which I know for those voracious readers out there, that's a really low goal. But for me, with two kids, two books a month is like a high goal. So I've already read I will have read three by the end of this month since I reread the book for the podcast today. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, For sure. I, I think so. I posted on just one of my last like footnotes episodes that I read 81 books in 2018. Wow. And like I've had people reach out to me and be like, are you serious? Like, um, you know, one person texted me and said like, do you not talk to anyone outside of work? Like, do you just come <laughs> home and read all night? And I'm like, uh, well, I'm just in a different space because I don't have any kids and my husband is completely studying the whole entire time so it's like well i either like i'm also embarrassed to tell you how much netflix i watch like there's a lot of time on your hands when you don't have
1: (laughs) well that's the other thing like i was spending all of my time on social media and netflix and i just had this realization like is this stuff really like broadening my mind at all no so i gave up all of that for like a month and all of a sudden i had all this time to read (laughs) Um, so now i technically, I guess I'm in two book clubs cause I started like a, I didn't start it, but me and two other friends decided, Hey, let's just have dinner. Not even once a month, just when we can get all together and read a book. So we just started that one. We've only read one book, but now, so I guess I'm technically in two book clubs. Yes. Which is hey, that's good. really
0: fun. Yeah, yeah. And you combine food and books and that's really fun. A gentleman in Moscow starts out in 1922, Russia with a fictitious Count Alexander Rostov, going before a tribunal. The crime? Being a member of the aristocracy. However, the Countess spared execution due to a poem written in 1913 that seems to show his support for the revolution. This has gained him notoriety among the Communist Party, and instead of facing a firing squad, he is placed under house arrest where he currently resides in the luxurious Metropole Hotel in the heart of Moscow. The story spans thirty-two years as the world around ca- the count changes rapidly, but the count remains rooted to the hotel and the people who visit it. Keep listening as Grace and I discuss what it means to have a meaningful life. Spoilers ahead. So, this, as you said, this is a book that you reread. So I always find it interesting because I, what I, my process has been, I've um, reached out to folks and send them the list list of books that there are left um to read and i believe you saw the entire list and you said that you wanted to reread gentleman in moscow um and you said your book club had already read it
1: yeah but you we didn't read feel it. like they gave
0: it enough justice
1: <laughs> well you know what's funny is um you know the count in the book he goes on this tangent about how the seating at a party is so so important and it it like can make or break history basically on like who's sitting next to who well, I at my book club was sitting next to the wrong crowd because I was sitting not not knowing beforehand amongst the people who did not read the book.
0: Oh, no. And so
1: just the way the room was situated, I was like, not really. I wasn't good at being a part of the discussion because I was stuck between people who hadn't read the book and they didn't want to talk about the book, obviously, which is one of the downfalls of book clubs sometimes. So. And then just like, so then the discussion didn't last long and I was just really disappointed because I'm just like, oh, I just loved this book so much and I didn't get a chance to really get into it. And it was just kind of disappointing. So when you sent me the the list, I was like, oh, this is my chance to like really dive into this book. <laughs> Plus it'll be good to reread it. So yeah. that's why I picked it.
0: That's awesome. So um, what did you think about our setting? Um, First of all, I guess, Russia and then the hotel,
1: the Metropole Hotel in general. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Uh, Reading this book, I realized how ignorant I am of Russian politics and history and culture. I mean, I know some. I was a history major, so I know like the very, very, you know, surface level stuff. But I just loved it because... I feel like I learned new things about a new culture at the same time as like reading this beautifully written book and the Metropol just seemed like this like fascinating cultural place, you know, and I really liked it. So I was very, and it's different. I haven't read like hardly any books that are set in Russia aside from like, I've read some Tolstoy and some Dostoevsky or however you pronounce that but and obviously those are set in Russia but aside from that I've never read a lot of fiction that's like based in Russia.
0: Yeah, I this book um and actually so I read um The Bear and the Nightingale um at the end of December I think um and then I read this book and I there might be one other book that I'm Oh, and then yeah, The City of Thieves is another book that I had read a couple years ago. Um but just really interesting the russian setting um just the culture um yeah just just very different because i think of russia as being very just like cold and hard and kind of like you know kind of like soviet gray you know <laughs> like you think of that but i really love that this one the people were russian and they had but they still had like so much life and joy in yes, them, um, and they and loved I, their and, country yeah, I one of my favorite parts I think was the part where um, uh, there was a two guys at the bar. They were one of the guys said the only thing that Russia has contributed to the world is vodka, and the count comes out and says, you know, I'm gonna make you drink a shot for everything that I can think of, and um, he comes out with you know Russian literature and you know the Nutcracker music um and caviar and just like so much rich history and rich culture um Mm -hmm. was really kind of cool and this was from someone who was on house arrest um by the government at the time so i can understand why he might have been like hating his country but no Mm -hmm. he really loved it
1: (coughs) yeah and that was just so beautiful to me especially since he only spent what he was around his 30 years old when he got put in there so he only got to experience 30 years minus the few years he was in paris even that he still loved his country so much
0: yeah really really neat um, and I, I I also thought the Metropole was just such a whimsical setting. Um, I haven't really been to an, very many luxury hotels in my life. I mean, there's been a couple conferences like where I go to like a conference for work or something and we're put up in a hotel that has a lot of amenities, like has a barber shop and has a coffee shop and different things. But it kind of was like interesting that he was kind of under house arrest in this little, almost like a tiny town. Um, and I just thought, what did you think about like what? How would you feel if you were under house arrest? What would you, what are your thoughts about putting yourselves in his shoes?
1: You know, I, the reason I picked this book is because I really relate to the count. um, On many levels. But one of the biggest reasons is because I live in Danville, Pennsylvania, which is like a super small town in the middle of nowhere. And I feel like, of course it's not as small as a hotel. Right. But, I just really related to him because um, I feel like he did such a good job of like embracing his circumstances and like, you know, doing what it had what he had to do to like make um, his circumstances work. And like, I feel like I've done that in Danville as well. And like, it's been like life changing for me to like realize that this is important. Um, And so, like, I'd like to think that I would be like him, (laughs) but I don't know if I would in that small of a circumstance. I don't know. He just – it was just incredible to me how he, like, so gracefully handled what he was dealt, you know?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And to think about – because I know you've mentioned this before. I've heard you say things like this about really, you know, loving the the hand that is dealt to you, kind of, and making the most of where you are, especially I think something – so big as where you live or like like you said, the town and um, really trying to dig in and, and learn all the good things that there are, because there's always going to be things that you don't like about anything. And so trying to find the good, fi- find the good where you can. I really like that. Um, so, I, so there was a lot made, of course, because of the era, you know, the, of his class and his rank. I mean, do you think that had the way that he was brought up, the manner, like I felt like manners were such a huge part of his, um, just the way he did things. He only did things in a certain way. I wonder if that kind of upbringing maybe made made it seem like—I mean, he's a fictional character, but do you think that just kind of helped him fit in better and and weather it? Or what do you think? I think, think about it
1: that? gives. Um, I think it gives us an opportunity to think. You know, sometimes we look at a certain class of person or a certain whatever of person and we're immediately throw judgment on them. We're like, like an aristocrat, for example, or I guess a higher privileged person. You're just like, oh, well, they have it so good. They have this, this and this in their life. But he had his own struggles, you know, and obviously he was under house arrest, which is a huge struggle. Yeah. But it was, you know, cool to me that because he was of high rank, He had all this knowledge, like he could speak multiple languages. He had read all of this literature and like he used those talents in a way that like made the metropole this like huge world for him, even though it was a small building, like in Mm -hmm. a very small part of the world, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of, um, you know, as readers, I think that's often what we love about being a book you know it you can be sitting anywhere and yet travel the
1: entire world from your
0: armchair um that's really cool
1: back to him having all these talents like I have that's another reason I really related to the count is that I feel like um this isn't talked about a lot and I this is something that I would want to address in my podcast actually is as an at-home mom um, which is my choice and I'm glad I made the choice but as an at-home mom you know, you deal with a lot of boredom because, you know, I'm in this small town in this small house with these two young kids and I have all these talents and I have all these abilities and I often feel like I'm not using them. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Or I could be using them to do this career or this other stuff. and, And I feel like the count was so good at like, using his first 30 years of his life and all the stuff that he learned and like figuring out a way to make that his experience the metropole matter and like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: be meaningful for him and everyone else around him and i think that's something that i've thought about a lot and like how can i make my experience despite my circumstances of being an at-home mom and being bored a lot meaningful you know and like live a meaningful day-to-day life
0: yeah, I really like that I mean I think that's even true for folks I mean because I think you know no matter what your your lot in life I think there's there's a lot of mundaneness in the world and how do you um get through that or how do you and even just feel like you're meaningful have a meaningful life like I was I'm listening to I have an audible subscription now because I got it for Christmas um to the book by Michelle Obama becoming oh
1: I've heard and
0: of that. um really i'm just like loving it of course i'm like basking in their romance and they're just such a cute couple Oh,
1: i'll have to read it
0: yeah it's like really good and i'm listening to her read it so i think i'm just like oh Oh, okay michelle obama's giving me a great big hug um (laughs) but uh just you know she talks about not being fulfilled and just going through like the motions of what you're expected to do and checking the boxes and not feeling fulfilled and sometimes um you know, sometimes the choices that we make from the outside or from one perspective can feel really limiting, but how do we, you know, how do we take enough control over our lives to feel like we're making a difference and we're living a meaningful life, I think is something that we all kind of have to think about. Um, yeah, definitely. And it's like an ongoing process all the time.
1: Yes, absolutely. But I just loved him. I think he's just such a wonderful character.
0: I agree. He was really cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was.
0: <laughs> Did you have a favorite character from the book?
1: Oh, I i mean, obviously, he was probably my favorite character. Um, but, I mean, ev- that's the beautiful thing about the book, is I just feel like every character, of course not the bishop, but everyone else, <laughs> just you just love them, you know? And mm-hmm. <clears throat> they all had their faults, and they all had their humanness, but, like, you know, it just of course, Sophia is just wonderful. And I don't know, I just every character, just the humanness of them and the way that they like connect to each other was just, it was beautiful to me, I guess I keep saying that, but yeah, I loved all of well,
0: them. And I think the writing was really beautiful. It was kind of a um, a little bit slower to get into. I, I had a really different perspective of what this is going to be. Um, I thought this was going to be more of a, um, Sort of a, a memoir, a reflection, looking back on someone's life for some reason. I just, I guess, I, I definitely don't really was cover. surprised
1: by the book too when I first read it. I was like, "So what's going on? What what is this book?" Like, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So, but I just think so. I kind of expected it to be a little bit faster paced when I got into it, and it was slow. And I was like, "Okay, like, hopefully everyone can come, you know, get through this with me because it started off really slow." But, um, but no, it was just but the writing was so crafted and i think that made everything um just come alive a lot more and you really kind of felt enveloped in the in the um, surroundings
1: well and i don't know how much russian literature you've read but and maybe if you have read none okay so (laughs) the few books that i've read um this book just evokes russian writing like it's just amazing to me because like it's just like this beautiful like very thought out like every word has a place And then the tangents, like, Mm. in every Russian book there is that I've ever read, which I will admit, there hasn't been that many, but like, there's all these tangents, like there's this story, and then there's this huge tangent on farming, and then the story continues, and then there's this huge tangent on the social structure of Russia, and then there's this more story, and like, I feel like the tangents weren't as tedious and boring in this book, because I guess, you know, maybe that style has gone out of style, but it just was like, oh, here's this tangent on food. And here's this tangent on literature. And here's this tangent on his thoughts on humanity, you know, but like all woven into this story at the same time, like, it just really evoked Russian literature to me, even though I will admit I'm not like an expert, but I've read a few books. And I just think it's awesome.
0: That's really cool. I mean, this book made me want to read Russian literature. I've always kind of had that like, In my head, like, oh, I should really read like War and Peace or something, you know, this big, huge tome. But um, it made me think, like, I really need to read Anna Karenina, or like, I need to read something um, Russian, because I just it made me a little bit more appreciative of their culture. Um, So I thought it was kind of interesting that um, I think it was the 21st of June. Maybe the 22nd of June was the day that Count rostov was put into um house under house arrest and it happens to be um the longest day of the year like midsummer right so the summer solstice and i just noticed that as we kind of kept coming back it was this very um methodical almost almost a musical or almost like a like a um, poetic way like a lot of the very important um, events happened on um midsummer like I think that's when Sophia fell down the stairs was on was in June. Um, A lot of those things happen. And I just I don't know if you had any thoughts about what kind of meaning that has or just any thoughts on that. Well, You
1: had mentioned that to me before. So as I was reading it for the second time, I was thinking about that question. And I'm like, I just think the author does such a good job of describing time. Because let's be real, you're going to be bored when you're in, under house arrest and you can never leave the same building. So like the first like, what, fourth of the book, like the author just does such a good job of like the count is like sitting at his desk tapping. And then that whole part where he's reading the um, essays from his father of Montaigne or how Mont- however you pronounce that. And it's just like, okay, he reads like a sentence and he's like looking up at the clock. And then he's like right. reading a sentence and then his mind is wandering and he, and he looks up at the clock and it's only like two minutes have passed and he's just like counting down the minutes until it's like socially okay for him to go downstairs to lunch and it just is like this long drawn out like like you said the book is just super slow at first but like I feel like it's intentional and I think that's why like, the 21st of June like you said it's the f- the longest day of the year and like summer nights are just these magical, really long nights, because I feel like you stay up later and just this like the play, the playfulness with time, I just thought was really cool. And I think like that's might be a reason he picked the 21st of June is because it's the longest day of the year, like you said. And yeah, it just seems like every yeah. And every day that is described, because like I did not count, but like he spends, what, 30 something years in the more metropole is it 32 but like how many days do we actually read about not that many so like that just goes to show how long each day is because this is a like a 500 page book and it only covers a few days worth and you're just like wow like a lot happens in a whole day and it's like this stretching of time like just showing yeah. how yeah and he said so
0: i read something by the author uh-huh. as i was looking at this and he said he intentionally every chapter like doubles the time so like first it's like a day and then it's like two days and then it's like a week and then two weeks and anyway it it basically it speeds up towards the middle and then after after the middle it slows down by halves and so it's like it's like 10 years and then five years or whatever it is so um that was intentional for him so that's really interesting that you pick up on that too like yeah the time and he so there's time that he talks about his grandfather's clock i mean that plays such a big role of the tick the tolling and the and um and then the and then when he went down to his suite and his the other clock that he didn't get to bring upstairs with him Mm -hmm. and the time had stood still you know and i just like yes yes kind of that imagery of he's just stuck here in time um well if you remember at
1: the end um i just read the end this morning so it's fresh in my mind but um, at the very beginning, when he gets stuck, like a, like, a whole minute is just this, like, really long amount of time. Or the, when he's, like, waiting for Sophia to get home from her first competition at school. And he's like, oh my gosh, why is this taking so long? But then at the end, when, like, he's getting ready to, like, make his move to leave the Metropole. Like, he just talks about, he's like... I know I should feel like this anxiety and like time should be passing really slowly, but I feel completely at peace. And like, it's like he came at peace with time. Do you know what I mean? And my time here is done. And he just like walked out the door and it was like nothing, you know, like it's just crazy. It's like, well, why didn't you do that before? You know, but I Mm. think he just needed to come to terms with that.
0: That's so interesting. Another thing, another theme that I, um, you kind of alluded to, is this the concept of ripple effects of one act? Like, so he said, he talked about the temperature of a room or the temperature, um, you know, affecting, like, as you said, who sits by whom and all these things It can, it completely um, changed his life so that he wasn't at the bedside of his sister when she died. Um, And the idea he shaved his mustache or like the the man, you know, forcibly shaved the guy's mustache. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, And and that was how he got connected to Nina. And so Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: I just really like that imagery. And I think that's really cool.
1: Well, and I think it just makes you realize, like, even when something bad happens to you, like, maybe there's a purpose behind it, you know, like he who wants to have their mustache shaved off forcibly like that. But then like you said, like, his greatest treasure, Sophia, happened. Like, if you go back among the ripples because of it, which is what he says in the book. And so I just think sometimes, like we were talking about earlier, like when we're talking about, am I living this meaningful life? Like, he found meaning in who sits next to who and the temperature of a room. And so, like, maybe I need to find meaning in, quote, meaningless things, you know what I mean? Because they do matter. Kind of like what he's trying to say, I guess.
0: Yeah. No, is um. I think that was really explored well in the book. Just, you know, this one man's insignificant life, really. I mean, he's tucked away in this. Nobody knows. I mean, he's just so, such a nobody, but how much impact he's having on the people around him. And then, again, just it spreads outward.
1: Right, right. Exactly. So I just thought that was a really cool effect that you had talked about, the ripple effect. That's so true.
0: Yeah. So, um, I also was thinking about, um, kind of, I felt like when I was reading it, the Sophia character reminded me just a lot about, um, his sister, Helena. Um, and I just kind of was thinking about those comparisons. And, um, when you read about how much love he had for his sister and how, you know, her death was so tragic, just that she died. She didn't die necessarily a tragic death, but it was early death and, um, how he wished he could have been there. I just kind of wondered, you know, what do you think about, like what kind of motivated the Count to be so determined to get Sofia out of Russia?
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, that's a good question. I think part of it is he saw, he had a relationship with Nina, her mother, and the impact that she had on him Um, I thought that was really cool and talking about the ripple effect like he talks about like how the Metropole seemed really small to him until he met Nina and all of a sudden she showed him every nook and every cranny and there's that whole passage there where he talks about how Nina pushed the walls metaphorically of the Metropole out for him and it became this entire world that he had never even dreamed of. And so, I feel like, in return, like that's what he was doing for Sophia, where like he's like, "This is not the whole world. like I need to push your horizons now and let you realize that like there's so much more, you know,
0: yeah, right um and I think i I really like that imagery of saying of he he's giving her the key, just like Nina gave him the key yes, to the hotel, that's true. and so he's kind of passing that on and saying, um." you know, this isn't everything and there's more out there Mm -hmm. and and you have to kind of take that leap, which is really interesting. Um, And I found Nina's character just very interesting. She almost seemed her relationship with the Count was very friendly as she was a child. But then as she got older, she kind of seemed, I don't know, to kind of scorn him a little bit. I don't know. Did you feel that way?
1: Yeah. Honestly, she kind of irritated me like when she's an adult. (laughs) But like, You know, I had no idea what her life was. She's fictional, but, you know, and I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I feel like the Count hit it on the head when he just said that she hasn't met life yet. You know, when he talks about that whole passage of how death is, you know, this person that we fear, but there's also this figure of life that Mm -hmm. is bound to catch up to you. And that's what Marina says about Nina. She's like, oh, don't worry, like, life will catch up to her. But then we don't ever know if it ever did because we never see her again. But... She just seems so serious and so like not willing to have any humor in her life, and it's almost like you know maybe she was a symbol of what was really going on outside of Russia, you know? Because in the Metropole, from the Count's perspective, it just seems like magical. Even though like you got hints of that things weren't so great outside, but I feel like Nina was a symbol of how how it was actually going on on outside.
0: Um. There's a part in the book where they talk about revolution of a society and also the evolution of a society. And um, one of, so it's when Mishka comes back um, and he kind of says, Russians are unique in that they destroy all the things that make them great and all the things they love. They have this great willingness to destroy things. And then he talked, and then the count was so um, disturbed by this, he brought it up to his sort of friend his forced friend who OSIP yeah who um, was part of the I guess part of the KGB kind of or he had some sort of government role anyway but and so he was defending them and he says um, you know he kind of mentioned the idea that before the Russian Revolution there was so much illiteracy um, going on women were um, downtrodden um, and then you know Yes, we've destroyed all, this, all these palaces and all these monuments and all these icons, but we've given people back their power. Um, and then I thought it was really interesting because the Count was like, well, yeah, that's nice. We've built this new society, but what? at what cost? And, um, then then Osip makes a comparison between Americans and Russians, which I thought was really just kind of interesting, especially in our current political climate, just different things. Um he says, "Do you think the achievements of Americans who are the envy of the world over came without a cost? Just ask their African brothers. Um, and do you think the engineers who designed their illustrious skyscrapers are built and built their highways are hesitated for one moment to level the lovely little neighborhoods that stood in their way? And I think about St. Louis, where we live together um. And that target that we that's like right there at Brentwood, that was yeah, like yeah. built on an african American like historic neighborhood and just was it? you know, I didn't even know that. yeah, there's a whole, they they fought it, and the only thing that they were allowed to do the the neighbor the the residents of that neighborhood they have a plaque. There's like a boulder. If you come in on the side like where the pet smart is, um there's a boulder that says this was once a neighborhood um.
1: Well, I mean, look at the Native Americans, you know what I mean? Like, we <laughs> destroyed all their land and, you know, it's absolutely right. At what cost?
0: He also goes on to say that um, Americans and Russians are the only ones who are leading the century because they know how to brush the past aside. And um, he says, but Americans have done so in the service of their beloved individualism and we are attempting to do so in the service of the common good, which is so interesting because I, you know, I'm someone who, while very much an individual and I support individualism, I do want to support the common good. And I just, I, I, I don't know, what do you think about, is there a way to um, have progress without destroying everything?
1: And, and just- you know, like I've I've thought about this as well and I don't know because like those, that you have to really ask yourself some hard questions here because on one hand, it's kind of like, from the Russian point of view they in their minds they're doing what they think is right but like it seems to me from the book and from my little ignorant knowledge of you know those times that a few men were making these decisions on behalf of the common good so but it wasn't really the common good you know what I mean because like all those farmers were killing their own livestock and you know destroying all the new tractors so it's kind of like is this the common good if that's not what everyone wants like i don't right. know right
0: right was it a de- is it was it a democratic way of determining what the common good was and, and yeah. i would say no it wasn't and who really benefited i mean we saw that um right a f- you know you still have the same results you still have the elitists in power it's just a different group of people who are
1: elite exactly exactly you know? <laughs> yeah but then the problem with america it's the same it's like would we even know what the common good is when our country, especially right now, is just so polarized? So like what I think is the common good and what you think is the common good is very different and very different from the next person. So it's right. just that's really hard.
0: Yeah. Well, and it made me think, too, about revolution and like um, the American Revolutionary War even. I mean, it was fought like, well, I don't know. I'm not you're the history buffs. So maybe you can correct me. But <laughs> it seems like. You know, a lot of it was spurred on by taxes and yes. by property owners. And and mm-hmm. when, you know, when the Constitution was founded, only people with property who were male and white could vote. That's true. Um, and so it's just like, you know, who really is benefiting from revolution? It seems like, um, you know, it, it just sets up another power structure, which is interesting. I don't know if there's a way.
1: Yeah, but then at the same time, you think about this ripple effect. Like, at the time, only... White male landowners were able to vote. But then, if you think about it in terms of a ripple effect, it's like eventually we've all been able to vote, which I know, like, there were like, there's the actual being able to vote and then actually being able to vote, you know? But, right, right. And so you just think about, like, is it worth it? I don't know. Because so many people over since the American Revolution have fought. With, you know, the civil rights movement and the women's mm-hmm. rights movement and all these movements, you know, have done so much to get the right to vote. And mm-hmm. and I think that is a ripple of, obviously, the American Revolution. But like you said, did we go the correct path to get there? I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I thought, too, about the idea of honoring the past and the value of traditions and ritual. And one of the things that – so the book – that Mishka wrote was all about, so it was titled Bread and Salt. And um, so that was, they mentioned it in The Gentleman in Moscow, it's a sign of hospitality to bring someone bread and salt. And when I was reading in The Bear and the Nightingale, they use bread and salt. Also, they left it out for um, the house gods, like the ancient people that they, you know, their ancestors essentially are protecting their house. And so they would leave out bread and salt to feed the house gods. Um, and so it's nice, I, it's a really old tradition and just the idea of, you know, is there a way I, I feel like um, I, I'm trying to struggle. I'm struggling with what Mishka was, why he did what he did. And one of the thoughts was, is he trying to honor the past that he feels like has been so destroyed by um, by the current political structure? And he's trying to bring it back and say this is the bread that's come through all these generations. It's consistent and it's and it's never changing and this is our tradition. I don't know. What do you think what are your thoughts about that?
1: Um maybe you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but so the scene where he goes and they want him to take out the bread line. They're wanting to take it out because they don't want it to make it seem like anyone was wanting for bread in Russia. That's is that how right, and that Germans
0: it. and that like Germany's bread is better than Russia
1: Yes, yes. Okay, I'm just making. I was like, that's. So I think I think part of it is that Mishka is just like, let's embrace Russia for what we're what we are, you know. Like I, he doesn't want censorship, and he didn't want like, I guess propaganda to be involved. So, like that's the way I took it. And mm-hmm. so I guess maybe he was saying that bread is like a way that you can. A symbol of reality in a way i don't know maybe i'm hmm. going crazy right here but no because i've been thinking about this as well and i'm just like you know it seems to me that he was what well, the reason he was angry in that scene is because of the censorship and that by taking that line out you're you lose a, the sense of realism and like what was really going on at the time um but then i i struggle to like really know so then why did he go and like find every quote with bread in it from the dawn of time and how does that connect i i i don't i would have to think about that more i guess what do you think
0: well and i was also thinking about something that the um the assistant general sergeant kind of person he ended up becoming the 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 CIA guy Vander Weil. he said cuz when cuz after meeting with mishka and then osip count goes to meet with vanderwile and says i'm conflicted about my friends and what they're saying about this and he says grand things persist and i thought okay well maybe you know something like bread and salt which is just universal maybe mm-hmm. that's the idea is that it's persisting through time and
1: oh, things that's that are good point. Yeah.
0: important and meaningful will come can't be squandered kind of by by sensing by censoring something it, it you know these things are gonna last forever um that's a know. good point.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: <clears throat> I also didn't really understand the poem at the beginning <laughs> of the
1: book. <laughs> I'm so glad about you said that. Where I'm is just it now? Like, what okay. does this mean? I have no idea. Like, okay, good. Yes, <laughs> we're on the same no. page. Yeah, I was like worried that you'd be like, "So, what do you think of this poem?" And then I'd just be like, "Um, well, <laughs> after reading it right before and right after reading the book, I still am just yeah. like not really sure."
0: Same, same. These. All right. Well. At one pivotal point in the book, the count is determined to commit suicide, but is stopped by the beekeeper on the roof of the hotel. He shows the count that the bees have produced honey from flowers from the count's hometown over a hundred miles away. Grace and I discussed the significance of the bees journey to the count's decision not to go through a suicide and to ask for a job as a waiter in the hotel restaurant. And as we talk about it, it it goes back to that idea of of a meaningful life, right? So these bees are, they have meaning and purpose. And maybe he says, you know what, I can have meaning and purpose too. Um, And he rethinks what that might look like for him, which is not just reading books and sitting by himself watching the clock tick, but um, getting a job and trying to contribute where his talents
1: are. Well, and that's exactly right. Like he's this man of quote, many talents. I mean, he's probably wouldn't have fared so well outside of the Metropole with his talents. Because like, if you remember that part where Mishka comes and he's like, who knew that you'd be the luckiest man in Russia when you got locked up in here however many years ago? And I just thought about that. And it's just like, you know what? Like, he was there and he could use the talents he had at the Metropole. And would he have been able to do that anywhere else? Probably not.
0: Mm And I I think if you think about had the revolution never happened and had he had lived his life of relative ease I mean so I mean what a less meaningful life that would be Um, and it was really I thought it was fascinating that the poem um, was the reason why he actually got put under house arrest instead of getting executed because it was supposedly a revolutionary poem um, although we can't understand what it means, but I know fine. which is
1: why I'm like, I'm really missing <laughs> like, something here. <laughs> I
0: know, um, but and and it just like, but it was Mishka's poem, and yes. you hear Mishka is being the revolutionary, being out on the forefront. Yet he's the one who's being sent to labor camps and persecuted and killed. Ultimately, you know, d- dying of this. I just thought that was so. I mean, that was another ripple effect, right? He decided to take he was saving he was protecting him initially so he decided to do that but it ended up being that he protected himself which was so interesting
1: yes and i think mishka i said earlier that nino was a symbol of russia but i obviously mishka was the real symbol because just like every time he came like his coat was ragged and his he had a limp and then he got exiled and like i feel like he was the real symbol of like what it was like on the inside. And he was such like the opposite of what was going on with the Count, meaning like their demeanors, their experiences. Like I just really liked like comparing the two characters was interesting. That is interesting. Well, you know, I would like to know if you liked the book, because I when with (laughs) and I know that's a simple question, but I have recommended this book now to like multiple people. And then as I was reading it for the second time, I was like, wow, this is a really slow book. Like, I hope people <laughs> like it. And so, like, I just was wondering, like, as you were reading it, like, what were your your thoughts?
0: Um, well, so I had actually bought this for my dad for Christmas before I had read it because I was, like, trying to think of what to get my dad. And, okay, and my parents- yeah. They're hard to buy for. I feel like because they have everything and yeah, um, parents are you know, like that. They have us. What else? Yeah, could they have seriously. For? <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> um, and so, I was like, well, maybe I'll get them this book. I've, I'd heard that people really liked it, and I thought it was going to be more like historical fictiony. And I know my dad kind of likes that. And so I was like, oh, I feel like it. And then maybe the tie in that, hey, it's my podcast would be meaningful. Um, and so I when I first started reading it, I too had the same like, oh man, this is really slow. I don't know if he's going <laughs> to get through it. But I, I really liked it. I gave it four stars in Goodreads, which is like a really good review for me because it's five stars is like, you know, it's really hard. Although I think I might go back and re-rate it as a five star because after I think about it more, I, I like it more. Well, that's the um, thing when you
1: discuss a book, you usually like it more. So. Yeah,
0: I agree. So um, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, I think it is one that you have to like. It was kind of hard because I've there was a couple other book clubs that I skipped this month um, that I'm in because I was just like, no, I need to f- like read this book. <laughs> yeah, this is my priority, and so um, I just you know kind of methodically and slowly went through it and i was glad that i did that i just i didn't try to rush it because sometimes if you try to rush something i think Mm you like it less
1: well Um, it's one of those books that like you kind of have to sit and think about you just read because it's so like thoughtfully written yeah it's not like a like a light book you know so it is a slower read but like that's not necessarily a bad thing i guess
0: right and so i think i'm glad that it had kind of no conception of what it was going to be about because um it was like a fresh, it was all fresh,
1: you know? Right, same. For, meaning, the first time I read it, I felt the same way. Yeah. So, well, what did you think about the bishop? We got to talk about him.
0: I know. Um, he was just a piece of work. I thought, so I kind of, in my head, made this little comparison between him and the soldier that um, the Count had the altercation with back in yes. his early pre Metropolis days. Just this idea of, you know, and that both of them had this one moment in time, like, the the soldier had the moment where um you know they sat at the table together and were vying over the same um princess and right. then and then he had that moment where he tore up um he basically forgave they w- were gambling and he they forgave mm-hmm. he forgave his debt um kind of in a show of like I'm better than you I guess I'm so right, good I'm going to yeah. forgive your debt and make this big thing and then the and the bishop had the same a similar situation where just one kind of instance um, where he corrected the bishop's wine recommendation for a couple sitting next to him, right. and I felt like it was just kind of like because of that, they both wanted to just um, make the other make the count's life miserable, or wanted to get back at him and show him that, um, that they were better than him. I guess I don't know. I guess it was it was kind of that big class divide too that the bishop was mm-hmm. just like. I'm going to show you that you're an elitist, and because of that, you know,
1: you're no better than me, and I'm better than you, in fact. And so it's very interesting. And he kind of reminded me, I made this connection upon reading it for the second time, of Javert in Les Mis.
0: Oh, yeah. Where,
1: okay. you know, Jean Valjean did this one seemingly small act... And so then the rest of Javert's life is so intensely focused on, like, ruining this guy. You know? And and I feel like in Les Mis, you get that, like, cathartic moment where Javert, like, realizes, like, wow, I've, like, wasted my life on this. Let me kill myself, which, you know, it's not good, but... I feel like there was never that moment with the bishop, which I guess was a little disappointing. I mean, of course it was satisfying mm-hmm. that he got locked in the basement. Right. And, you know, he didn't actually thwart uh, the count or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I I will say I, that was one thing that was kind of like, okay, but is he going to realize that he sucks? Like, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's more realistic. A lot of people don't realize that they suck. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who knows?
0: <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I just, it was really interesting. And, and it was kind of fun to see him, like, he was constantly on this, you know, upward trajectory. Um, his life was, on appearances, getting better every time we jumped ahead a couple years. He was the head waiter. Now he's the assistant manager. Now he's the manager, kind of a thing. Like, he kept jumping up or whatever. Um, yeah, just very... Kind of a counterpoint, I guess, to um the count who was just becoming more and more obsolete every day, yeah, um, that's true, but still had more more goodness in him, you know, so,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and then the end of the book, you know, it says he meets with a willowy woman or whatever, so we assume that's anna or Ur- um and then I thought, what did you think about him not
1: leaving Russia, you know? I thought about that, too, and I it surprised me a little bit, but then when you think about how the last time he left Russia, he missed seeing his sister die. And I think in his mind, I think there's multiple reasons. There's that whole, like, trauma that, like, stops him from leaving because he's like, why leave? And then there's the whole love of his country where he's like, there's nowhere I'd rather be than Russia because I just love my country so much. And then there's the whole, like no one's going to look for me in Russia argument as well because yeah. they just assume he's going to leave. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of I kind of took it as the first option, though, where it was traumatic mm-hmm. for him that when he left for Paris, because he had to, mm-hmm. um, he missed out on his sister. And so maybe he just couldn't bring himself to leave again. I don't know.
0: Right. Or in the, just the idea kind of like that no matter what, he was Russian at heart and that's where – Um, he belonged and I think you're right. I mean, he did, he, when he left, he, he missed out. Um, um, another thing I wanted to mention because of when you talk about Sophia and his last dinner together, and he said, instead of preaching to her and giving her all these platitudes or like paternal advice, we remembered our memories we like we you know we savored that meal and that memory and
1: uh, And when she looks back on that dinner she's gonna look at it fondly as opposed to this like list of things that she needs he even says that he's like when you leave on a trip you don't want to leave someone with all this advice because then their like experience is going to be full of anxiety over am I fulfilling this advice you know and I related to that too because my brother actually um he just what he's in israel right now he just got there like last week yeah he's doing a study abroad there and i did a study abroad there uh wow it's been seven years now seven years ago and my immediate reaction was to like give him all this advice and you have to eat this food and you have to go to these places and i did tell him some things but then the thought just occurred to me like no one gave me advice and no one you know gave me a list of things to do. And I still had this amazing, wonderful experience and-
0: Right, and the idea of like, letting someone have that experience without putting a- external pressure, like let let, 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 let let them just go and experience Israel or Paris or wherever for the first time, like as you know, as a blank slate. That's kind of interesting. This was a really good book. I'm really glad that um, you read it with me.
1: Yeah, I was happy to actually dive more, Deeply into it, like I said, so I'm glad that you were the person to do it with me.
0: So now we're coming to the part of the show where we give recommendations, and so um, we'll start off with Grace. I'll ask you what is making you happy that you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
1: Well, you know, um, when you had warned me that I would you were going to be asking me this question, I immediately thought of. Marie Kondo's new Netflix show, tidying up, which maybe it's kind of dumb to even re- like reference. Uh, what's the word? Recommend this because, like, isn't everyone watching this right now? I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you are not, then um, you are not in our genre of. Um,
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like uh, maybe those people are living under a rock, but those people are probably not listening <laughs> to this podcast. So
0: that's probably um. true. <laughs>
1: But I, it's not that I want to recommend that show necessarily, but I really want to recommend The Method, you know, um, sparking Have joy you tried in it? my life. So I, I've started. So I read the book a few years ago now, two or three years ago. And I got to tell you, I was just, I was overwhelmed. Because in the book, she comes off as like hardcore. Like, she's just like, doesn't spark joy. Just get rid of it. You don't need this. You don't need that. Like, at least that's the tone I took. Um, but now, having watched her do it, and, like, I just love her. Like, her persona is so great. Like she's She just, is so sweet, isn't yes, she? Yes, she's just so personable. And, like, without even talking, you just – and even not even being in her presence. I'm watching her on a TV, and you can just feel she has this presence to her. You know what I mean? And I think that exudes, like, because she, like, lives this lifestyle. And so – just this idea of like cherishing every little thing that you own. I think it relates well to the book we just read, like Mm -hmm. cherishing every moment. And like that needs to include cherishing everything that you own. And so I have started the method. We went through, me and my husband went through all of our clothes on this past weekend. And um, it was, you know, you just feel this weight lifted off of you. Like, I'm just like, all of a sudden I'm like, I've never had all this room in my – I've always been shoving my drawers full of clothes and not wearing half of them. And I just finally let go of things that I've owned for, like, 10-plus years. And I'm like, yeah. I'm never going to wear this. And it's just – it's freeing, and it really does spark joy. It's like I need to only own clothes that I feel good in. And, like, if that means I only own seven shirts, that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I really
0: like the idea of um, just – because she talks about, because I haven't read the book, but I have been to a book club where they talked about it. And I, I got the sense from everyone else that she was just like super hardcore and this all felt really overwhelming to people. And, and one of the things she says, is, you know, she does is she says, say thank you to these clothes mm-hmm. for what they've done for you and it will help you relieve some of the guilt of getting rid of the things. And I, it's interesting because I, I do feel sometimes like, oh, I never use this thing and I, and I feel mm-hmm. guilty because of maybe someone who gave it to me or maybe because... I bought it and we didn't, couldn't it. afford it. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you feel guilty. And so I just love the idea of freeing yourself from that guilt. And it's like, I'm going to have things in my life that bring me joy and that's, and that's it. And it's that's going to be okay. Um, I also, I really liked her, um, her, the way she greets the house every yes, I love um, episode. Yes. I was just like so cool. And, um, I just love the idea of setting an intention. And one of the ones um, on the episode, it was, they had just bought the house. And so she said, come down here and do it with me and think about all the things that you, your hopes and your dreams for this house and, and think about that and put those things into an intention. And I just like, I think it's like so awesome. So, Oh, I I agree. Well,
1: and that's the other thing. Like I also, I, I'm, I'm not a minimalist. I am not. But I love watching stuff on minimalism and Marie Kondo and like all this stuff. Um, But something that I love about the minimalist, you know, thing is I think in our heads, we think minimalism means like, I only own one plate and one fork and one spoon. And like, that's not true. Like, I just remember there's a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism. I could also recommend that. Um, But that's kind of old, but he just says like so many people come up to me and Marie Kondo kind of says the same thing in a few of her episodes and they're just like, Oh, I just can't be like you because I just love my books and I could never get rid of my books. Like they do this and do this. And he's just like, dude, keep your books, you know, like if you love your books, like keep your books. Like I don't have to get rid of anything, but it's just the idea of like being more mindful of what do I love in my house? You know, like, mm-hmm. and I don't love this vest, sweater vest that I had from 10 years ago. Like, right. But for some reason I can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But I love like, I have a ton of craft supplies cause I love throwing parties and like, that's okay. I can have a closet full of craft supplies cause I use them and I love them and I don't have right. to have a bare closet to be happy, you know?
0: Right. And I think, cause I, I tell my, I label myself as a minimalist. Um, and there's no way, like, I agree. I don't mean, when I say that, I don't say, mean, I don't have anything in my house or my house is bare or even clean. It just means that I am trying to only bring things into my life, um, that have meaning to me where I can and, um, letting go of. Right. And, and yeah, and I think that can be true, not only just physical things, but also, um, you know, ideas or habits or anything that isn't bringing you joy um you know life is so short and we never know when we're gonna leave and i just want my my thought is like let's try to make this life the most meaningful that i can and i understand it's a place of privilege i have the resources to do that kind of a thing but um anyway so that's kind of where i come from on that
1: well and that's why i love the show too because you see that she's actually not that extreme like in one of the episodes it's like a like it's, it's almost an episode of hoarders in the beginning with a guy with all the baseball cards. Yeah. And then at the end like it's still kind of an episode of hoarders but like they right. feel re-
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> like they feel really good but about they it they feel you know?
1: really good and like and I think that's the point you know like
0: it's yeah. about how
1: you feel so like if you're unhappy and you're feeling anxiety and depression and all that because you're just overwhelmed by your house then something needs to change you know. Right. So I
0: totally agree. So I'm I'm just going to second on that recommendation. Um Um, As another recommendation I want to recommend, I am doing currently, and this is my second year doing this, every January I do a 30-day yoga challenge um, with Yoga with Adrian, which is a YouTube channel. And it's just really, really fun if you are into yoga or not into yoga, but kind of want to learn more about yoga. um, It's kind of a really good way to ease in most of the, the first couple episodes, the first couple challenges days were like almost 40 minutes long, which is kind of long for me. But the rest are mostly around 25 to 20 minutes. So they're really easy to fit in. So I really like them. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for being on the podcast with me.
1: Yes, I'm honored that you thought of me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of infinitely prefer a book tag me on Instagram at infinitely prefer a book or email me at infinitely a book at gmail.com. Check out the show notes to see a list of books mentioned and our recommendations from today's episode. Let me know what you thought of the book. And if you have any Russian literature suggestions for me, next month's book will be Pachinko by Lin Jin Lee.